0: Morning, as always, I'm excited to be here with you this morning, excited to preach um, not just from the Word of God, but preach the Word of God, preach what God uh, specifically wants us to hear in our life, what He wants us to know, and how He wants us to respond. I think those are things we need to take away. Uh, every week, what he wants us to hear, what he wants us to know, you know, retain, and how he wants us to respond. We're coming to the end of the study of the 10 words, the Decalogue, the 10 commands of God. And uh, through this study, if you haven't um, gotten to listen to all of them, I think that you should, Uh, not because I think my preaching was excellent, but because I think what we see in them is excellent for living. Um, So, if you hadn't gotten to listen to all of them, I think you should catch up. Uh, You should listen to those through your favorite podcast, mostly, and or VintageDeSoto.com. I think it's vastly important that we take all of these ten and see the wide range, the uh, full spectrum that God has for us as we're trying to live holy, blameless, undefiled lives. Today, we'll be... A different setup for the sermon because this command is a different type of command. Uh, it's di- really different than all of the others that we have, uh, but it's nonetheless important. It is still very, very viable and very important for our walk with the Lord. So I want you to do something with me. I want us to just pray together uh, as we sort of close out this series, as we uh, finish up the ten commands of God. Pray with me. God, You are so good, Lord. You have given us everything as Christians that pertains to life and godliness. You have given us all things that we need, Lord, to live spirit-filled lives. Lord, if we belong to you, you've given us the fruits of the Spirit. You've given us the ability to um, receive the fruits of the Spirit. You've given us the ability to love to have joy, to show peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, goodness and self-control. You've given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, Lord. In your holiness, uh, you expect us, Lord, to take the gifts that we have been given and to live for you as a means of returning thanks, as a means of laying those gifts back at your feet. Lord, I pray most. what we've learned most through this study, through the ten words, the ten commands of God, is that you have real expectations. Those expectations cannot be met apart from Christ, but you expect us to surrender our lives in an attempt to live them as an offering to you. Lord, we just pray that you would just be in this time right now and nurture this time through your word. Would you search the recesses of our heart? Lord, if you find any sin, Lord, whether confessed or unconfessed or maybe even unknown, if you find any sin, Lord, in our lives, would you uproot it out of the deepest areas of our heart? Lord, would you cause us to repent, to turn away from that sin, to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ and to trust the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to change us, to make us new, to make us more like you. Lord, we trust you because anything you've ever said you were going to do, you've done. We trust you because of the work that you've done in us. And we trust you because you have not left us nor have you ever forsaken us. But you are renewing us day by day, more so into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you and we love you. We praise you for this day and we anticipate great things from your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A journey of deliverance. We're coming to the end of the study of the ten commands of God. And we are going to finish our tenth command with a look into the joy of contentment from Exodus 20:17. Today we'll wrap up our 10 sermon mini series on the the 10 words of God. Through it we have we have seen many things. First, we have seen that each command is not only demanding a physical action but also proper motives behind that action. It's not just do not commit adultery. But it is that my heart may be pure and undefiled and surrendered to the Lord so that even the thoughts of my heart, the thoughts of my mind will not go against the Word of God. It's It's not just do not murder. It's not just do not commit the physical act of murder. It's that my heart and my life will be so entrenched in the Word of God, in prayer, in Christian community, in love for my neighbor, in love for the glory of the Lord, that my anger will not have control over me, that hate will not have control over me. It's not just that our physical actions um, are are model Christianity, but also that our internal, our spiritual Our thought life. And this is really what the 10th command is covering, is making sure that we understand today that each command is not just demanding a physical reaction, or a physical action, but also proper motives behind uh, each action. Through the rule of categories, we have seen that each command directly represents the direct context of that command. Do not murder. That means do not kill somebody in an unlawful and unjust way. But it also represents uh, a <coughs> excuse me, a range of categories of that sin, like I just alluded to a minute ago. Hate falls under the category of murder. Ang- ex- ex- extreme anger, uncontrollable anger falls under the category of murder. Lust falls under the category of adultery. The rule of categories tells us that it's not just the initial sin that is mentioned in the Ten Commands or the initial command that is mentioned in the Ten Commands, but also there is a need to see what all that, what uh, category, what categories that command covers. We've also learned that there are really two tables of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four commands uh, are the first table of the Ten Commandments, And what that does is it shows us how we respond to the Lord how we worship Him, how we put no other gods before Him, how we love Him and follow Him in, in a right way. The first four commands, the first table of the Ten Commandments tell us how we love the Lord our God with our heart, heart, soul, and strength. And then the second table of the Ten Commandments tells us how we love our neighbor as ourselves. In, doing, in seeing the Ten Commandments as this well Rounded rule of categories, two table type things. What we do is we see that God, how God is telling us that the whole law and the prophets are written, are summed up in these two things love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Today we will see one more truth of the ten commands of God, and it's found in the tenth command. You Shall not covet. You shall not covet. Now I want to do our things really quickly before we get into it because this is the last time we will do them, and hopefully I won't forget them uh, like last time. But if you feel like you've got it, it's not necessarily to not necessarily to follow along with me. But if you want to follow along, that's fine. Number one: No other gods before me. Number two: Do not no graven images. Excuse me. Number three: Watch your words. Number four. Most believers get in their four-door vehicle with their four wheels, and they go to church gathering. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, don't murder. Number seven, if two people are together and they decide to go apart and be with somebody else, that's adultery. Number eight, in a lot of countries, you can lose appendages for stealing. So, you know, don't lose your pinky and your thumb. Uh, Don't Still, number nine, if you're saying one thing and everybody else is saying another, you're probably lying. Number ten, do not covet. Do not covet. The tenth command you shall not covet. I, I handled that one a lot better than I did last week. I'm with very little practice, set in the mirror for like an hour. Just kidding. <laughs> You shall not covet. The word covet is the Hebrew word that is translated hamad. It simply means to desire or to take pleasure in something. Now the word hamad can be used in both a positive and a negative sense. It is used in Genesis to describe the way that the Lord looked at the trees that he had created. They were pleasant to his sight. In Psalm 19, God's laws are said to be desired, to be desired more than gold. Psalm 68, that the Lord desires for his his abode to be at Mount Zion. Or Song of Solomon is talks about the desire for the hamad, the romantic love desire. Hamad is also used in a sense of coveting, and it's warned against throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and especially in Proverbs and, and things of those areas where it covers sort of the commands. It covers the wisdom uh, that we should follow. We see sort of this back and forth echoed in the New Testament uh, with one time, um, Hamad, or, or, or the same type of word, being used to describe a person's desire to be an elder in the church. And then at another time, it is used to describe a person's desire to sin. So what conclusions can we draw about this word, this deep desire, this longing from what we see from Scripture and the other contexts that we have? The first is very important to remember as we move forward in studying what it means to not covet it, what it means to not covet and that is that desire and longing for something itself is not a sin. Desire and longing for something itself is not a sin. As a matter of fact, desire and longing is something that God has instilled in us. He instilled in us a longing for a helpmate, a longing for a spouse. He instilled in us a longing to support our family, to, to nurture our family to love our family. He has instilled several desires in us. So having desires and having longing and pursuing those things are not in and of themselves bad. Working hard to get a promotion, having savings goals to get your children to college or for whatever reason that you might have, pursuing your longing to learn another language or an instrument or to see any lofty goal that you might want to meet. To pursue after those things is not in and of itself bad. To pursue a friend or to pursue a mate. These things are not bad. These, as a matter of fact, can often, and for the Christian who is doing them properly, can most likely be positive desires. The pursuit of our desires is not the problem. Friends, I am convinced of this. If God gives us our desires, and then he says to do everything as unto the Lord, the pursuit is not the problem. That means that Christians should be the most driven people that you know. If God gives us the desires of our heart, and then he tells us to do everything as unto the Lord, that means that Christians should be the most driven people that you should know. Christians should be the ones setting goals. Christians should be the ones achieving goals. Christians should be the ones leading in science and leading in, in every field that they choose to go into. Pursuing our desires... Are not, it's not, pursuing desire itself is not the problem. Being passionate and driven is not the problem. Coveting is the problem. Coveting is when our de- desires do two things. We covet when our desires cause us to break the first command, and we covet when our desires cause us to break the second command. Coveting is when we let the pursuit of our desires surpass the pursuit of the Lord, and we disobey the second command as that pesky command to love our neighbor as ourselves, and it just gets in the way. Coveting is is letting our desires rule us instead of them being in submission to the Lord. As a matter of fact, the command not to covet is sort of a really a a gotcha command in the Ten Commandments. You know, I've said this a few times throughout the Ten Commandments, but throughout our study it's like, you know, I'm going to be fine today. This is an easy, easy one. I'm relatively content, you know. I think I've got things under control, but the command to not covet is is a gotcha command of the ten commands. You may have wondered why even the Lord would have used up all the good commands first, and why he didn't sort of save the best for last as as we've been told. I think Each command has its merits, but the reason that coveting is the last is because it is a summation of the heart issues that cause us to break the first nine commands in the first place. If a person tried to say that they had all of their physical actions, they could keep all of the first nine commands, all of their physical actions were to the glory of the Lord, and the first nine commands, didn't apply to them, you would have to stop on the 10th and really examine your life. Whereas all the other commands, the first nine, really heavily leaned on some need for action, coveting is really something that is mostly seen in our heart and in our intentions. As a matter of fact, if we see coveting manifest itself in the physical, it is typically seen as a catalyst for breaking the first nine commands. If we covet what this world has to offer, it'll make it difficult to keep the first four commands as we'll break spiritual unity with the Lord. And then several of the commands, five, you know, the fifth through the ninth command will be difficult to keep as we covet our neighbor's authority or maybe his wife or his marriage or maybe his financial means or maybe the fact that he's well, a well-respected person in the community. Coveting is not the idea that we want something badly enough to pursue it. Coveting is longing for something God has not given you and may never give you. Accomplishing this pursuit by morally wrong planning, often taking morally wrong action to achieve a morally wrong longing. Covenant really touches a realm of commands, uh, the whole realm of commands, because coveting is often the desire to achieve something by breaking one or more of the commands that we've already stated. I want to finish this Ten Commandment series on a positive note. I'm going to sort of change the format. So today we will spend the last little bit of our time looking at how we keep the command not to covet. How we accomplish this command not to covet. I have four for you today, and I want you to take these, and hopefully there will be some sort of ideas that we can follow and some practical steps also. The first, and it won't be the first time you've heard this if you've ever been in one of my sermons, but practice contentment. Practice contentment. The first way that we truly keep the command not to covet is practice contentment. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the tenth commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Contentment is an absolutely essential and key element of succeeding in the Christian walk. Contentment is simply being satisfied with what you have and how much you have of it, even if you knew that you would never have more or you would never have what your neighbor had. This applies to uh, mental or spiritual acumen. It applies to wealth, notoriety, or status. It applies to a range of things. It is simply being happy with what God has given you. And that is vastly important. Being happy with what God has given you. Not under the condition that he may give you more. Not under the condition that you want more or have dreams and hope hopes and you expect those to be fulfilled, but being happy with what God has given you if nothing in your life changes from this point to the point that you die. Being happy with what God has given you. Contentment is vastly important because it puts our eyes on Jesus instead of what Jesus can do for us knowing that what God has given you is from him and is for your good and what God has withheld from you is from him and is for your good and what God has given others is not always for you to have also is truly a measure of contentment the bible says a lot about contentment luke 12:15 says be on guard against all sorts of greed or or covetousness is used in another uh, uh, translation, but I don't want to say that too many times because it's really hard to say covetousness fast. So so be on guard against all sorts of greed, for a man's life does not consist of abundance of possessions. Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. He, uh, Matthew 6.25 discusses how your life it's not built on what you eat or what you drink or about your body or what you are And then Matthew six thirty two goes into one of the, uh, the most commonly quoted verses ever. It says, for the pagans run after these things. Your father knows what you need. And then it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? You know it? All of these things will be added unto you. Contentment says that your life is not built upon acquiring wealth, upon acquiring clothing, upon acquiring physical things, upon trying to get what your neighbor has or keeping up with your neighbor. Contentment says that what God has given you is enough for today and tomorrow and for forever. And that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if more will be added, it will be added because we're seeking Christ and not the things that he has to offer us. The pagans run after these things. Your father knows what you need. Contentment says, This is not my pursuit. My father knows what I need. I'm going to seek Christ. 1 Timothy 6, For godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and we take nothing away. The Proverbs discuss contentment in depth when on multiple occasions it said that it is better to have a little with integrity than a lot from selfish or ill-gotten gains. After all, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Are you practicing contentment? Are you satisfied with what God has given you or withheld from you? Knowing that whatever it is was for his plans and for his purposes. Friends, you, if, if you consider yourself like I do, a reformed Christian, if you consider yourself one who trusts more in the sovereignty of God, it is hypocritical and sort of nonsensical for us to say, "I trust in the sovereignty of God and live lives of discontent." Do you have deep longings for the things that you don't have, that you may want or you may, or you may or may never get? things that belong to others? Do those desires lead you to break the 10th commandment in order to attain them, or even the first great command and the second great command? Christian, Christian. One of the most difficult things for you to reach, it is a work in progress for the rest of your life, is contentment. But it is one of the most important pursuits of the Christian life. Because if you find value and worth primarily in anything else, there will never be enough room to find value and worth in Jesus. It would be better. It would be better. Now, I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm not saying don't work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat, and you should be considered worse than an unbeliever. But I am saying this. It would be better to be homeless and content, than to have wealth and live a discontented life. We pursue contentment as one of the primary pursuits of the Christian life. The second thing is this, we pursue integrity in all things. We pursue integrity in all things. We must be people who pursue integrity in all things in order to call ourselves blameless Believers under the blood of Christ. This first starts before we even pursue a desire. I truly believe and have seen this in my own life. That the more I am willing to be culpable in the small sins, the more I am willing to be so in the big ones. If I lie to you or someone I love about a small thing, it makes it easier to lie to someone I don't care about in the bigger. This goes back to our commands about... (coughs) excuse me, lying and stealing. If I'm willing to pursue and attain things, no matter how small, in an inappropriate way, then how will I respond when the stakes are bigger? Friends, we must pursue integrity in all things in order to keep the 10th command of God. Honestly, it applies to all of the commands of God, but especially this command. If I'm willing to put other things before God and make idols when when life is good, what will I be willing to do when life is difficult? Integrity in the small things. If I put things before God now when life is smooth, when life goes bad, what am I going to do? If I'm willing to sacrifice the Sabbath when life is going smoothly, what will I do when trials come, when my business falls apart, when work is too much, or when I'm too apathetic to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? If I'm willing to disobey my parents, what will I do to my boss or to law enforcement and even on some level my spouse? If I'm willing to look at porn behind my wife's back, what choices will I make when a beautiful and suggestive woman comes my way in person? See, friends, obedience and contentment starts by integrity in the small things. Christian living starts by integrity when things don't really matter that much. Because I will tell you, friends, if you cannot make the easy decisions to follow Christ, how in the world do you think you will make the difficult ones? How in the world do you think we will have the strength and the ability to make the difficult decisions to follow Christ if we can't make the simple ones with those that we love and those that we cherish in safe moments? If you're willing to sacrifice a little in the easy times, you will certainly be willing to sacrifice a lot as times get more difficult. One of the things, and this is not a sermon on giving, but one of the things I've noticed and recognized this most is in my life. If I am willing to slip on giving when I have plenty of money, if I'm willing to slip on generosity when I have plenty of money, I will for sure be willing to slip on it when the money is short. We need to pursue integrity in all things. James 1, 14 through 15, gives us a clear example of this. The apostle James explained that each one is tempted when he, by his own evil desire, each one is tempted by, uh, excuse me, let's try again each one is tempted when by his own when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death evil desire gives birth to sin and finally death James lays out the birth plan for death in your life. The birth plan to be discontented, to be a covetor, to be a lawbreaker. This is the image this is the image that James is saying. Each person who is enticed by a prostitute and pulled away into the alley, when his enticement has been brought to full, he conceives sin. There is birth. There is life. And then that life, as it fully goes through that sin life, as it goes through the gestation period in your body, breeds death. It produces a death baby. Sin, as it entices us, it brings about desire. And it, that desire leads to action. And that action conceives death. Death. First you let a little integrity slip when we are enticed, then our enticing conceives sin, and then sin brings full-term birth of death. There are some of us in our first trimester of sin. You need to hear this. This is the example of what James is saying. There are some of us in our first trimester of sin, and we're not really showing that sin baby that we have. Right, you don't really show in your first trimester. I know I did it. I always showed in the second and third. Thanks to eating whatever. But that that sin, that sin that is growing inside of you doesn't show in that first trimester. Some of us are in first trimester sin. We've given over and and just because we don't see it just because others don't see it doesn't mean that that sin does not exist, that it's not there. It is, it, we, and we are nurturing it. We are feeding it. We are feeding it. We are feeding that death in our lives. Some of us are in the second trimester of sin or maybe the third trimester where that sin's a little more visible. That sin's a little more visible. Maybe our friends close to us know or maybe more people know. But what I've known about having a baby is the same thing that I know about the, this baby of death that is in you. A woman in her, second, in her first trimester is no less pregnant than the woman in her second or third. Do you understand that if your sin is hidden, it doesn't make you better than the person whose sin is visible? And if your sin is visible, it doesn't make you any more desperate than the person whose sin is hidden. Friends, I'm sorry for the imagery here, but you need to hear it. We need to abort the death baby in our life. And James gave, James gave a model. He gave a plan of action for aborting this death that is growing in us. He said, submit to God later. In James 4, 17, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A little sin conceives death. And it doesn't matter, friends, if you're showing in order for us to know, for you to know that it's there. We need to start by placing integrity, friends, to get back to where we need to be, to get back to where we can keep these commands of God. We need to start by placing integrity on the little things in our lives, like spiritual disciplines, reading our Bible, praying, being a part of a church and active in a church, sharing the gospel, memorizing Scripture. We need to start by looking at what we intake through television or video games or music or social media or other things that we ingest from the Internet and it's not that those things in and of themselves are bad, but friends, if we, took a, if we took a measure of what we intake, is our life more marked by intaking things of God or is it more marked by intaking the things of this world? The reason that we talk about these things that we ingest is not because they're bad in and of themselves. It is because they are substituting or they are in a substitute place for where God Should be. Are we intaking things that are conceiving sin and death in our life? Or things that are bringing us godliness, integrity, contentment? We must practice contentment and pursue integrity in all things we do. Number three, put down wrong desires. Put down wrong desires. The last command is an interesting command because it covers not only our actions but our hearts' desires. It rounds out the 10 commandments. And in order, and in order to pursue holiness and Christ likeness, we too must examine our thoughts and our desires to see where iniquity is found. We must ask ourselves some questions and we must be honest with the answers. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves, what do I want most in this world? What do I want most in this world? What do I believe would make me the most happy? What am I willing to do to get it? Is Christ enough to keep me content if I never attain this? Can I be happy for others when they do In America it is celebrated to tear down others in order to achieve your goal it is celebrated to have whatever desire you have and to do whatever necessary to achieve that desire be what you want to be we tell people Christians stop telling your children that stop telling your children to be what they want to be that is not biblical It leads them down a wrong path. Number one, they can't be anything they want to be. It's just not true. It's just not true. It is a fallacy. You give them false expectations and false hope. But friends, if you want to lead your kids in the right direction, if you want your children to grow up and be something special, tell them to be what Christ wants them to be. Tell them to search after that more than anything else in the world. And what Christ wants them to be will be far and above better, will exceed, well, well above what you can tell them they want to be or what they can come up with in their own head. Stop telling your children to be what they want to be. You can be anything. That's just not true. As a Christian, it is not practical to tell somebody they can be anything and tell them they can be in Christ. They just, the two just don't work together. Now, it is possible that their goals and their dreams might align with what Christ has for them. But what Christ has for them is more important than goals and dreams. Friends, when you died for Christ, when you died to self, die to Christ, you crucified all of your hopes and dreams, all of your personality traits, all of your life at the cross of Calvary. And if he gives that back to you, that's up to him, but it's not up for you to decide. Can I be happy for others if my dreams don't come true, but my dreams come true for others? Friends, our desires and our willingness to do whatever to achieve our goals must be put into submission to our desires to do everything to the glory of the Lord. We must put down desires like a rabid dog. We must abort the death baby that grows in us because of evil desires, because of sin that has manifested itself. Friends, the desire to attain anything outside of the will of God will lead you to a life of servitude of self. The desire to attain anything outside of the will of God will lead you to a desire of focus on self. The desire for your neighbor's health house for wealth or status will lead you to a life of discontentment and hatred towards your neighbor. The desire for his or her spouse will lead you to compare your spouse to theirs and ruin your marriage with unreasonable expectations and comparisons. The desire for your children to be like others' children will tell your children that they just aren't enough and don't measure up. You say you don't covet, but what is your first first inclination to be happy for people when you hear great news for them? We say we We don't covet, but is our first inclination for people to be happy or sad when we hear great news? Is our first inclination to make excuses for why we are not where they are? Is our first inclination to be content with what God has given us? When someone else achieves something that we wanted to achieve or they buy something that we wanted to buy or maybe that we think is unnecessary for them to have or we can't have or never may be able to have because of finances, what is our first response? How often are you happy for people without tearing them down or complaining about what you lack? You say you don't covet, We say we don't covet, but we pursue dreams that are not meant for us. We say we don't covet, and yet our heart speaks and sings a different tune. Martin Luther said of the Tenth Command, "'This last commandment then is addressed not to those whom the world considered wicked rogues, but precisely to the most upright, to people who wish to be commended as honest and virtuous because they have not offended against the preceding commandments.'" The command to not covet is a telling command. It tells us that our sin nature is not just about our actions, but about our thought, life, Also, about every desire. Paul said in Romans 7, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet it. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desires. That's Romans 7, 7 and 8. The law tells us that we are free from the wrath of God Just because, excuse me, the law tells us that we are not free from the wrath of God just because we keep from doing the things that others do or we're better at hiding it. It tells us that we are not almost Christians, are mostly good before we are saved, but it tells us that we are wretched. And depraved, It tells us that we are aliens and strangers and far off from God. And unless God intervenes through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are desperate and without hope in the world. It tells us that God at the right time sent his son to die for the ungodly. That if we have any hope of righteousness, that it will be found by grace alone, through faith alone, and in the blood of Christ alone. The 10th command shows us our depravity because it hymns all of us up in the understanding that not only only our actions are depraved, but so is our mind and our hearts. And the only way that our body and our minds are renewed is through Jesus, through the work of His Holy Spirit and sanctification. Through Him we can keep the commands of God. Through Him we can keep this last command. And I know this last thing, this last point will seem sort of generic, but it's important to you today. Pursue upright living. Pursue upright living. Pursue contentment. Pursue contentment. Put away evil desires. Pursue integrity in all things. And pursue upright living. Friends, we should be the biggest critics of our own life, but we should not be shamefully critical. We should examine with a big spotlight every corner and recess of our heart, matching it up against the Word of God and seeing where we fall short. We should repent and trust the Lord to give us abundant life. We should pursue upright living. How does this relate to keeping the 10th command? When we pursue upright living, it not only affects our actions, but our thoughts also. It makes us content with what God has has given us or hasn't given us. It makes us motivated to pursue God because we are focused not on what we lack in the world, but what we have in Christ. Let me repeat that for those who didn't get it. It makes us more motivated to pursue God because we are focused on not what we lack in this world, but what we have in Christ. Why are upright living and godly desires and integrity in the small things and contentment all so important? Because they cause us to take a proactive approach to holiness. Because when we pursue upright living and all that goes with it, we meet sin head on. We are driven to Christ by the necessity of our massive need for him. And we create healthy Christian community by not desiring ill on our neighbor or not doing things to achieve things in our life that hurts our neighbor. Friends, we must pursue upright living to the glory of Christ, put down evil desires, pursue integrity in the small things, and pursue contentment. And when we do that, we're on our way to living as much as possible a covet-free life. Dr. Wayne Grudem asked these questions about keeping The keeping of the 10th command, and I want us to think about these in our life as we close today. Are there people or things in your life that you wrongfully covet? Are you content? This is a good question. This is a good question. Are you content with coveting those things that God has not given you instead of being content with the way he has created you and what he has given you? Are you content with coveting the things that God has not given you instead of being content with the way he has created you and what he has given you? Can you think of anything God might be prompting you to do to bring about a greater purity of heart? Are there times where you've desired God more than anything or anyone in the world? That's a good question. Are there times where you've desired God more than anything or anyone in the world? And coupled with that, do they do those times outweigh the times where your desire for other things and people, where you desire other things and people over God? That we would be people who live without suspicion or resentment of others. That we would not live in the past or fight things in our life that we cannot change. That we would refuse to indulge in self-pity and instead put on love and compassion and kindness and thankfulness and happiness for others. That we would put healthy expectations on our life and pursue healthy desires. And that knowing Christ would be the first and foremost desire that we wake up to in the morning and that we lay down to at night. Church, that we might be content in knowing and being known by Christ and all of the many blessings that he has given us in the beloved. That we would rejoice with others in their prosperity and we would help others in their poverty. That we would live like Christ in keeping the commands of God to the glory of Christ and for the love of our neighbor. God, you are so good. You have laid out perfectly what it takes to love you, to follow you, and to know you more. Help us through your power to pursue godliness, to pursue contentment, to put away evil desires, to pursue integrity in all things, to pursue upright living. Lord, would you help us to trust you and love you, to know that what you have given us is for our good, what you have withheld from us is for our good, And that if Christ is all we have, it's enough. He is enough. God, we praise you. We ask you to bless our day. To let us be gospel proclaimers to the world. But also to our family, to our friends, to those we love most. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.